Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. One of my earliest church memories was my first vocal solo. I'm not kidding. In fact, I can't remember much before that. It was such a defining moment, I guess. (laughs) I was five years old, and they stood me up on a chair beside this large wooden platform that used to be what preachers preach from, called the pulpit. And uh, so I I couldn't be behind that or else no one would see me. So I stood up on a chair beside the pulpit at Emanuel Baptist Church in Valley View, Alberta. And I sang these words. Should I sing them? I've never sung the song before, uh, since. Before or since. It was like this. Born again, there's really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said. Born again and all because of Calvary. I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. Yeah, five years old. Now, if you've been there this, that morning watching uh, Tiny Thomas uh, belt out his Sunday best, you might have rightly asked, um, wasn't that kid just born like, yesterday? And now he's singing about a second birth? <laughs> what is this? And, and if there really has been a change in him, what must he have been like? <laughs> But no one was asking that question that day. I was cute back then, and people were just smiling. (laughs) But more than that, as simple and maybe cute and as you could even say naive as this song could seem to some, especially coming from yours truly somewhere in 1978, Born Again captures something essential within the heart of our evangelical pietist faith describing an experience that is an absolute must. That we believe that each person, no matter where they were first born, no matter what they might have believed, whether they're wealthy or poor or educated or illiterate or civilized or barbaric, Nigerian, Brazilian, Croatian, or Dutch, every man, woman, and child must be born again in Christ in order to be a forgiven child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, growing into the character of Jesus Christ and sent into his mission in the world. You must be born again. Jesus said it first, of course. He said it to a religious teacher during a nighttime conversation. And the encounter was recorded in John chapter 3 in a very famous story. I want you to hear it again. Here it is from John chapter 3 of the New Living Translation. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Pharisee was a really strict sect within Judaism. Probably at its height, five, 6,000 of them ever. But 
they held a lot of weight because they were so darn holy, okay? So he was a religious leader, and he was a member of the Pharisees. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Fair question, I'd say. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are all these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, that's connection to an old story you want to read in Exodus, I think. But, you know, this time when Moses lifted up a bronze serpent in order to heal the people, Kind of a weird story, but he's making a comparison here. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. When Jesus tells this fella, this much-respected Torah-observant Jew, this conscientious-to-a-fault, God-fearing, Yahweh-fearing man, who knows what he's doing, this man knows what he's about, he knows what's important. When Jesus tells him that he needs to start all over again, it's understandably confusing to him, off-putting, even a bit offensive. You can feel it in his responses. What do you mean, born again? And Jesus pushes him to see something that everyone, everywhere, must be willing to embrace if they are to have any hope of life as God intends for them. Whatever we thought was to our advantage, spiritually, Whatever we understood would give us sort of a leg up or an advantage or a way ahead or kind of, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Like God will like, he'll look at me, he'll go, yeah, you know, he's pretty awesome. Whatever we thought would get us into God's good graces or at least tip the scales in our favor. You know, like I've done a lot of crappy stuff, but hey, look at the other side. You know, all that stuff. Whatever that is, doesn't count. Doesn't have the value we thought it had. 
Because, I mean, if anyone had what it took, it was a Pharisee like St. Nick here. Not that St. Nick, this St. Nick. Because like his contemporary Saul, who later became Paul, the apostle, Nicodemus could have boasted and probably would have boasted a very similar resume. I'm paraphrasing from Paul himself in Philippians 3, but I know Nicodemus could have said a very similar thing. Circumcised at eight days old, a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of one of the 12 tribes, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. This is straight from Philippians 3. A member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law and so very zealous. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Nick would have had the same resume as Paul. Nick would have seen this as proof positive that he was already an insider. And he wasn't coming to Jesus to figure out how to be saved for crying out loud. He's one of the family. Look at him. Everything about him says he's in. He's great. I mean, all sucks, but he's awesome. He's a true member of God's people. And so when Jesus says to him, mm, no, actually, you need to start over. <laughs> what? what? It's mind-boggling. Jesus has just thrown Nicodemus' very foundation to the wind and said, yeah, you got to be born again. You must be born again. And now to Nick's credit, he asks questions. He listens. And actually, as the story of John continues on, it was clear that Jesus' conversation here is haunting him, that Jesus is hunting him, (laughs) because he shows up again a couple more times in the story of John, but that's for another day. You must be born again, is what he told him on this night. You must be born again. Now, in these weeks of October and November, uh, we're exploring our core affirmations as a covenant church. After a little bit of historical setup a couple weeks ago, where I explained some of our pietist roots, we started last week with our first covenant affirmation, which is the centrality of God's word. And we explored how this is like a bedrock confession for us. That as a covenant church, we don't have a whole bunch of detailed, you know, here are 14 points, 18 subpoints, you know, all, all the things. We don't have that. What we have is this very basic confession. And I quote, the evangelical covenant church confesses that the Holy Scripture, the Old and New Testament, is the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. And if you missed last week's message, you can find it on YouTube or on our website, Apple Podcasts. But it's the foundation. Uh, This first affirmation forms the foundation of everything else, our life together as a church, and certainly the next five affirmations that we're going to be exploring. Today, number two, our our second covenant affirmation is the necessity of new birth. And this is grounded in the scriptural story as well. All through the scripture, we see this call to a restart, a promise in the, in, in the, in the prophets of a, a restart that's coming, of a, a new heart, of a new covenant, of, of a new way of knowing. And when Jesus comes and calls people to repent, which we'll, we'll hear about, there's, there's this invitation, dare I say even demand, that there must be a restart. Well, affirming the necessity of new birth as a covenant church really shows how indebted that we are as a family of churches, to the revival movements that swept across Europe and North America, uh, particularly 
the Wesleyan revivals in the 1700s. Uh, Paired with the renewal movement of pietism, which was already happening, these revivals called people to this fresh, live understanding of God's, God's not only presence, but our need for his life in us and calling people to repent and bow their knee and turn their hearts fully to Jesus, receiving through faith God's forgiveness and new birth through the Holy Spirit. And these awakenings and revivals, they dramatically influenced the whole Christian church, particularly the Western church. And evangelicalism as a historical movement, um, it started here. And there was this call um, yes, call to holiness, uh, call to a vital life, but particularly starting with a call to be born again as a new creation in Christ. It was central to that movement. And that's because being a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus, requires repentance, that really somewhat holy word or religious word, but it wasn't a religious word in its original context. It just meant turn around and do something different. Turn around and trust something different turn away from what you were trusting in before, and now walk a new way. And the, 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 the uh, original use of that word could be used everything from you know, political ways to friendship ways. There's a, a sense in which it's a call to turn. But when Jesus came on the scene following John the Baptist, his first public words were, right, repent. Repent and believe the good news. Turn away from what you've been trusting and trust a new way. When we repent, we turn from those old trusted ways of managing our own salvation, managing our own life, and we entrust ourselves to God's gift of eternal life through Jesus. And this is a must. We believe it is essential. Why? Because in order to get in on what God did through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we must ourselves undergo a death and a resurrection, a rebirth. We believe the scriptures teach that we were born bent. Everybody. Born bent into a world that's bent. A world that has been racked by sin, violence, rebellion. And we need, every one of us, need God to make us new again. Alive again. To literally breathe life into us because without him we are dead. And what we understand even at the end, tail end of this John 3 passage, John 3, 16 and 17 shows up, that Jesus came into the world to rescue us from sin and death and to bring us to new life in him. In order to receive that, we've got to come to a place where we're willing to actually bow our knee and accept his judgment and receive his grace so that we can become new people through what he did for us. Being Christian means that we are, we've become a new creation, which is just another way of saying new birth. So Nicodemus, in order to get in on what God was doing through Jesus, needed to be born a second time. Needed to be given a spiritual restart to be baptized into a whole new identity. He had to let go of everything that he thought was to his advantage. Everything that he had resourced in his own power. Everything that he thought, apart from Christ, added up to benefit. He had to let it all go and fling himself on the mercy and grace of Jesus. And so do we all. 
It's important to know that being reborn by the Spirit is not a matter of just tweaking a few things, you know. Stop doing that, and everything's good, you know. Fix a little bit of that bad behavior, mm, you know. Spiritual rebirth isn't just about adjusting a few thoughts about Jesus. It's really not about joining a new religion that makes you feel better, because lots of times it won't. Uh, being born again isn't yet another self-salvation project where we're just, we figured out another way to rig the game in our favor. That's not what it is. Being born again is about humbly confessing that we can't, we haven't, and we won't ever be able to save ourselves, that we need God's grace, that we need his favor, that we need his forgiveness, that without him we are lost, and that everything that ever matters is available to us by grace, through faith in Jesus. Uh, Being a Christian is about receiving a whole new identity from God. It's about starting over for sure, but this time, instead of starting over and trying to figure it out ourselves, it's the realization that God has come to reside within us by his Holy Spirit. We are now powered by God himself. Being a Christian recognizes that because of Jesus, our lives now are split along a historical timeline, a marker, an event. There is life before Jesus, and there's life after Jesus. And when we're reborn in Christ, we are new people because the old person has died. And that explains so much when you're looking at the New Testament in particular. There's this constant appeal to who you were before and who you are now as reborn people in Christ. It's the whole basis of New Testament ethics. It's the whole understanding of how we grow in Christ. It's constantly, constantly referring to who you are now because you are now in Christ. You've now been reborn. You're not who you once were. Now live by who you are. The old person is dead. Uh, Last week, someone slipped up talking about Tony's upcoming baptism today, and they said to me, okay, it was Dan. Just going to say, throw him under the bus. Dan said, I know you have a funeral next. And he's, oh, I mean a baptism next Sunday. <laughs> to which I said to Dan, well, actually, it is a funeral. It's not just a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> How long am I going to hold you under, Tony? <laughs> baptism, in a sense, combines a funeral service with a baby shower. Literally. It's a sign that we've died in Christ and have been raised to life in Christ. We're having a funeral service and a baby shower and all for the same person. (laughs) And I think that's beautiful when we think about it. That this afternoon we'll preside over Tony's death and resurrection. (laughs) Going down into the water to represent that the old is gone. Coming back up out of the water to mark a change in identity, a sign that we've been born again. The Apostle Paul himself, uh, he had to humble himself dramatically. It didn't hurt that he had been, you know, put flat on his back on the road. But from there on, he still had to come to a place where he was willing to bend the knee to Jesus the Messiah, to be baptized as a sign that he had died and rose again in Christ. And he captures it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, very famous passage. He said, for Christ, and he's talking about the, 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 the message, the commitment that we have to share this message of new life in Christ with others. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Isn't that beautiful? Many of us can tell our stories as a before Christ, after Christ story. And what a wonderful testimony you have. And I hope that you will share those stories with others. You will share your before Christ, after Christ story. And and maybe this week, you'll have an opportunity to do that in your small groups as well. But I also know that some of you, hands up, me either, don't have a whole lot of time in that before Christ timeline, right? As in, you always trusted in Jesus. You grew up in a family that believed in Jesus. You have a story for sure of growth and of struggle and maybe of doubt and of failings, yes, but it was all within the context of this life in Christ. And so there's kind of a question that can be for some of us, how does this emphasis on new birth work for those of us who can't actually remember what life was like before that, you know? I mean, I, I, I remember singing that song, but I have a terrible memory from when I was a kid. I, got, I remember almost nothing. What about those of us who can say, well, uh, if new birth requires that kind of like before and after, and I can't point to that, what do I do? Actually, our little uh, Covenant Affirmations booklet, which I'm encouraging you all to read, there's a PDF form I can send you, but we also have some hard copies at the back there. Um, they actually have a really helpful little insight here, and so I want to read from that. Uh, booklet, because I think it helps. Here it is from the booklet. As an evangelical church, we believe that conversion results in eternal life. Conversion can be defined as the act by which a person turns with repentance and faith from sin to God. Conversion involves a conscious rejection of the life of sin and involves a commitment of faith. Eternal life is not given through assent to creeds alone, but through a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. Such a high doctrine of conversion does not mean that all believers have dramatic conversion experiences. While no one remembers the moment of physical birth, one's present life is evidence of its occurrence. Did you hear that? If you're living, you were born. So a person may be truly converted even though he or she has no memory of the moment of new birth. The vitality of life is the proof of birth, not its memory or recollection. And so I think that helps, eh? Uh, Rather than obsessing about the time or the date or or some particular experience, you say, well, if you're alive in Christ, if the Holy Spirit is present, if you're confessing and following him, awesome. New birth is in your rearview mirror. Continuing on from the booklet, though, the new birth, however, is only the beginning of life. Growing to maturity in Christ is a lifelong process called sanctification, which is just from the word sanctus, holy, making you holy. Being formed in Christ is the goal for both individuals and communities of believers. The Apostle Paul agonized as a woman in labor that believers might express Christ's character and goodness in their whole being, Galatians 4.19. On this journey of being transformed by the Holy Spirit into Christ's likeness, God's people experience and express love for God and others. Healthy and effective spiritual growth 
takes place in the context of relationships, both within and beyond peer groups. The desired outcome of this formational process, this growth by the Spirit, is described by the Apostle Paul, quote, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Ephesians 4, 13. So, we must be born again. And now, we need to live as those new creations in Christ. And the whole Christian story can be told through that framework, growing into our truest new creation selves in Christ. One hard one on the cross by Jesus for us, offered to us in freedom, and now living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, does that raise any questions for you? I'm hoping over the next few weeks I can, looking at the time, um, I can offer uh, opportunities for maybe questions because, you know, I'm only able to touch on a little bit of this, but this is one of our central affirmations, and I wondered if that raises any thoughts or questions for you. I'll take a drink. Well, you think. Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. So I'm going to repeat this so that people online can hear it, okay? And uh, people listening. So, and, and correct me if I get it wrong. So what you're saying is, uh, what if you were baptized at one point in your life, maybe as an infant, but maybe also as an as a older person, um, and for whatever, whatever your story was, you maybe, maybe had some struggles or whatever, uh, but you've come into a new sense of life in Christ, a, a sense of almost like being born again, again. And, and you're kind of asking the question, like, what is that? But also, what about those who might want to be baptized again, right? Um, either as a statement that this feels like the real thing that's happening now, and, and what do we go with that? Is that what you're asking me, Aaron? Okay, great. Um, so I think it's kind of a conversation each individual can have. I think it's always worth exploring, what do you mean when you said, you know, I've had some struggles or, I, you know, and that's, that can be a conversation among spiritual friends or a pastoral conversation because the Christian life is not a straight linear path, is it? It's got lots of ups and downs and lots of valleys and even periods of time where it feels like maybe I've even lost my faith. And that's the truth of it. Um, Jesus doesn't forget us, doesn't let us go, but we can feel like we lost it. And so when we come back, in a sense, renewed in that faith, we wonder, are we really starting for the first time? Or is this, you know, continuous with what God was doing before? And I, I think there's room to discuss that and figure out, like, what is that? And how does that work? Um, the truth is, uh, my, I would say that, uh, you know, I look at the baptism, uh, whether as an infant or as an adult, you, you know, that marks you, right? That marks your, your inclusion into the body of Christ, that, that marks your life. Um, and and particularly when it's, it's something done in faith, either by your parents or, or by uh, family members or you yourself. 
Um, and so I, that, in my world, that can stand. You can look at that and say, that was yet a, 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 a torturous route to get here, but thank God, God for his grace, he's brought me through. For other people, and this is controversial among some folks, for other people, they would say, no, that, I, uh, that, that, that baptism wasn't real, or it didn't, didn't count for me, or I really need, I need to be, this is an important step of me expressing my faith in Jesus and receiving that. And I, I'm actually open to whatever works for people. Um, I don't think the scripture is that definitive. Um, what, what Jesus wants to invite us into is that real, vital life with him. And uh, baptism is not magic, uh, but it is an important step that we take uh, to, to, to become part of things. It's like our rebirth. And so it's, it's, not, a, it's not a step we take of maturity later on. Sometimes it is because people put it off. But ultimately, it's meant to just say, I'm in, Jesus. Thank you. You know, it's yes. That's, that's really all it is. Um, and it's, it doesn't make a statement about people have this huge defined theology or they've got it all figured out. And it certainly isn't a statement that they're, that they're going to now walk in, in you know, per- perfect freedom. Because that, that's not what's going on. It's they've been reborn and now they need to learn how to live. So um, it's kind of a bigger, you know, bigger story, Aaron. And, and, and one that many of us have when we ask, like, what needs to happen now? And how many of us can say we, can, we come into new places in our faith and our journey and it feels like what we believed before was nothing? It really wasn't nothing. It was really an important way that God has worked in your life and been present in your life. But it can feel in contrast to what's happening now. It's like, wow, that was terrible. I didn't know anything. I wasn't even a Christian then. Well, hold on. Jesus had you. You know, how's that for a rambling answer? Other other thoughts or questions you'd like to throw out this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So the question uh, Olin's asking is, what about the heroes of faith, people of faith, for example, listed in Hebrews 11, but before Jesus, the before Jesus people. And so a few few key things. What we know is representative all through Old New Testament is that God calls us into a covenant with him, which he has made possible through his work. And he always wanted to, and call this people into a living relationship with him, founded upon this, uh, you know, his grace, his covenant faithfulness. And in the Old Testament, these heroes of faith, let's, let's pick the obvious one, like Abraham. He's reckoned righteous because he has faith in God. He trusts in him. In that sense, that would represent the new birth. It's, it's, that, it's, the, it's the, the place where it says, uh, where, where a person says, I'm not trusting my own resources here. I'm completely trusting the covenant faithfulness of God. But even in that, Abraham's life or Moses' life or David's life, it points forward, and the prophets continue to point forward to a work that God will do that goes deeper than anything had happened before. That work of the new heart, the work of the covenant on the heart, the writing on the heart. And in Jesus, this comes into clear, sharp focus. That what God has done in Jesus brings new life for us through Jesus' own life, death, resurrection. And so um, 
it's always based in faith, faith in the covenant faithfulness of God, which is most uh, supremely made evident in Jesus himself and then the gift of his Holy Spirit. And so we, we think of that for, for you know, and, and how God understands that, looks at that. It's always in reference to, is there uh, a willingness to entrust ourselves in faith to God's, to who God is, to God's love and his character? And that's what we see consistent all the way through. But even, you know, we see people like David and others, you know, crying out for a, a new heart, crying out for God to work inside of us. And uh, that's ultimately fulfilled by Jesus. But uh, most sharply, the coming of God's Holy Spirit, where now God dwells inside of us and uh, is able to transform us from the inside out, which is beautiful. Well, a couple things as we finish. What does it mean to be reborn? The first thing is that we get a brand new identity in Christ, meaning that what was true of you before, good and bad, is no longer what defines you. Now, when we look at the things before that really were terrible, and, you know, we, we came from this or that or this event, and we realize we're no longer defined by that, wow, that feels like a grace, doesn't it? I'm no longer defined by that way I was treated. I'm no longer defined by that terrible relationship. I'm no longer defined by this family of origins. I'm still continues to maybe affect me. I've got to work through things, but I'm not defined by that. I'm defined now by my new identity of Christ. It is a little harder when that means you're no longer defined by all the good things either, all the achievements, all the things you thought were to your advantage. That can feel a little more painful. But this new identity in Christ is founded solely in him. And so we embrace this new creation reality, new creation kids growing up in Christ, in him alone. But knowing that we have a brand new identity in Christ is so definitive for our lives moving forward. Embracing, understanding that. And, and that is, I, I do reference that a fair bit. I think that's a, that is an absolute key to understanding uh, New Testament ethics, the way we are called to live. It is rooted in our new identity as Jesus people, new creation kids. The second thing it means is that you're now in the process of becoming a mature member of God's family. You are somewhere moving from baby to adult. And sometimes people stay babies longer than they should for a variety of reasons. But from the moment you're reborn, you have agency and choice and decisions, and God wants to participate with you in your growth. And so we're called into maturity, and we grow in maturity in a whole variety of ways. Uh, again, if you don't mind, I just want to read a little bit from this booklet, because again, I thought it was helpful. It said, as there is no new birth without repentance and faith, so there's no healthy spiritual growth without a life of discipline. Discipline is the cultivation and nurture of the spiritual life in both its personal and corporate dimensions. Public worship, participation in the sacraments, prayer, Bible study, service to others, stewardship, fellowship, and other spiritual disciplines all enhance the Christian's growth. A life of discipline prepares us individually and communally for passionate engagement in the work of Christ in our world. It is through transformed people that God transforms our world. It is for this reason 
we are called into new life. A life of discipline seeks to avoid moral and spiritual indifference on the one hand and oppressive legalism on the other. So, number one, brand new identity in Christ. Number two, you're in the process of becoming a maturing member of God's family. Number three, you've got older siblings who are committed to helping you grow. Look around you. No, really, look around. Don't look at me. Look around you. (laughs) You've got older siblings. Well, at least most of you do. (laughs) Unless you're the eldest. That's right. You've got a whole bunch of little siblings. You've got to take care of anyway. Uh, You've got older siblings that are going to help you grow. Now, remember, they are themselves still in the process of growing up. So there's grace needed. But there's a call here to mutual discipleship. You've heard me say it before, but I want to be really clear again. Siblings of the faith. Other siblings need you. Some of you, boy, this is not my notes, but I feel compelled to say it. Some of you older siblings do not care enough about younger siblings' growth in faith. You've let other things become far too important for you. And as a result, younger siblings in the faith, and they might have gray hair and still be a younger sibling in the faith, you understand, need you to prioritize their growth. Don't be an older sibling who's just content to live your life in Christ and not help younger siblings mature and grow. They depend upon you. Is that strong enough? Hearing me? For those who are younger siblings, you go and tap someone on the shoulder. You go and ask, you help me learn to pray. Would you help me learn how to read my Bible? Would you walk with me? Because as a younger sibling, you've got a whole bunch of older siblings who, whether they know it or not, are committed to helping you grow. <laughs> And then number four, you are destined for the family business. When you're reborn, you've been born into a family business, which in this case is the healing, transforming mission of God in the world. And here's, the, here's where the metaphor of being reborn breaks down. Because when you're reborn, destined for the family business, oh, by the way, your job, it starts today. <laughs> there actually isn't this big lag time. You learn on the job. From the moment we bow the knee, from the moment we're reborn in Christ, Jesus fills us with his Holy Spirit and calls us into the family business of bringing healing and transformation to the world. Isn't that beautiful? You were in the family biz. You started today, yesterday. Well, as we close today, I want to encourage some practical implementations and then we'll close with a song. First practical thing we're going to do today is we're going to celebrate Tony's baptism. Yes. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to share our born-again stories. And so I encourage you to share your born-again story with somebody. Maybe in your small group this week. Maybe with a friend over coffee. Maybe you need to write it out, your before Christ, after Christ story. But write out your story. Be able to say, this is how I know. This is the difference Jesus is making. 
Share your born-again story. Third question I have is this, or third implementation. Some of you might be sitting here today and think, I've never done that before. I don't really know what you're talking about. How can these things be? How can someone old enter into it? You know? And if that is you today, watching online or with us here today, let's talk. Don't have to come at night like Nicodemus did to Jesus. We'll just meet over coffee. And we'll have a chat about what it means to be born again, what it means to follow Jesus, what the next steps for you might be. Let's be very practical about this. If you're saying, I'd like to explore a bit further what it means to be born again, what it means to receive this new life, let's talk. And then, fourth, for those of us who are alive in Christ, who would say, I've been born again, my question for us is, let's keep growing. What's your growth strategy this fall? I'm hoping that you've included small groups in that. I'm hoping you're including basic spiritual disciplines, but I don't know. I don't know. And so if you would say, born again is behind me, I'm alive in Christ, my question to you is, how's your diet and exercise going? How are you growing? What's your strategy? And if you can answer that with clarity, good for you. Keep going. But if you can't, it's kind of a vague answer. Oh, I don't know. I'm here today, aren't I? Then uh, perhaps talk with another sibling about their strategy. What's your strategy for spiritual growth? How do you keep your life growing in Christ? Uh, How are you reading the scripture? Go ahead. Ask anyone this morning. See where that goes. I'd love to know. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.